Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Obviously, the news, uh, high drama in Washington yesterday when uh, the U.S. House of Representatives uh, announced that they are launching an impeachment inquiry of Donald Trump over allegations that he tried to press a foreign government into helping him take down a political rival. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made the announcement. The actions of the Trump presidency revealed dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. Impeachment inquiry. So exactly what does that mean? What are the next steps and, and what are the implications? Uh, we're pleased to welcome to the program Claire Finkelstein, Algernon Biddle Professor of Law and Professor of Philosophy at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Uh, Claire, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you could join us today. Thanks for having me, Bill. Let me ask you right up front then, because there's an awful lot of speculation about what might be happening here. When they say an impeachment inquiry, what does that actually entail? Well, right now it's a bit more symbolic um, than consequential because we've already been in a kind of impeachment inquiry, and that was something that Chairman... Nadler said already um, a number of, of weeks ago uh, that he considered us in an impeachment inquiry. The important part of it is um, that Democrats in the House are now organizing around the concept of impeachment in a fairly unified way. Previously, Nancy Pelosi, of course, was uh, opposed to taking this step. And now she is throwing her weight behind it. So the Democrats are really moving forward with uh, an inquiry into the possibility of impeaching the president in a way that is solidifying their efforts. Um, structurally, what it means is that there are going to be six committees that are reporting to the Judiciary Committee um, and uh, Chairman Nadler, uh, and they, the chair of each of those committees um, will have to report to the Judiciary Committee that is the committee that then makes the decision about whether or not to proceed with impeachment and whether or not to recommend it to the full House. And I'm glad you explained that because I was watching the coverage yesterday and I thought, well, they're already doing that, aren't they? And as a matter of fact, the discussion and the debate over the last couple of weeks was, uh, yeah, it's an inquiry. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Yes, depending on who you asked, as you say, until Chairman Nadler finally said, yeah, this is the beginning phrases of this. So they're going to report back. They're going to get a body of information. What swung the the, uh, the the Democrats who seem to be sitting on the fence on this? What swung them over to say this is the way we need to go? Uh, it seemed to me, Claire, as if uh, the Mueller investigation and the involvement with the Russians uh, seemed to have been petering out pretty much. But then all of a sudden the story about uh, the president's call with Ukraine and, and what may have gone on there seemed to have just ignited a fire under an awful lot of people. That's right. Well, these are very, very significant events, uh, and I think it's it's right that these are the events that have swung many Democrats' minds on this, including Nancy Pelosi. Um, think about what the president has admitted to doing. This is not, you know, these are not guesses that require further investigation. On the face of it, the president has admitting to approaching a foreign leader for purposes of gaining an advantage over a political rival and ask that political leader to turn up dirt on that rival. Now, um, that's a pretty extraordinary thing, given that we've been here before and given that his campaign was under investigation for doing this very same thing. 
So that with regard to the 2016 election and the famous meeting in Trump Tower, uh, Don Jr. Uh, was willing to meet with the Russians because he had hoped to get dirt on Hillary Clinton and came away, he said, disappointed because we didn't get anything. And that was Exhibit A in a campaign finance violation because you're not allowed to receive campaign benefits from a foreign country. And here we have the sitting president of the United States admitting that he approached a foreign leader to gain that very same kind of illegal advantage. Um, that's a, an extraordinary admission. Well, and it reminded me, obviously, of that famous moment during the debates uh, in the last election, too. Uh, Russia, if you're listening, uh, find those emails. And what was it, like 24 hours later, all of a sudden they showed up? That's right, exactly. So the the thing that one would expect him to be doing is trying to show that the 2020 elections are not taking the same path as the 2016 elections, to lay to rest any concerns, to prove that this, on the part of Democrats, really has been the witch hunt that he claims it is. But instead of doing that, though he's still claiming it's a witch hunt, um, he is actually displaying the very conduct that he's been under investigation for and displaying it brazenly and openly. That And second of all, the thing that he um, is further accused of doing, which in effect he denies, though it's a little bit weak, um, is holding up congressionally voted monies for Ukraine uh, as military aid that Congress voted on to help protect them against Russia and help solidify their effort to remain independent. Uh, and it appears that at least the timing is very, very suspicious that uh, the president decided not to send that military aid to Ukraine. And then just a couple of days later, had this conversation with President Zelensky, where he said um, that he wanted him to dig up dirt on uh, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. So it looks as though on top of everything else, he has used his official position and abused his office um, to make sure that he had the leverage to gain that information. And if Congress doesn't take action at this point, they have allowed themselves to be maneuvered into irrelevance, since that aid that they voted was a decision of Congress and has to be implemented by the president. Well, let's talk about protocol and, and the way things are supposed to be. And when this all ties in, of course, with that phone call, uh, that you've referenced. The other thing, of course, is the actions of this whistleblower uh, and the report about right. that that whole incident, which apparently is being held up now by the Justice Department. Uh, that's not supposed to happen. I mean, they're not supposed. Apparently, as as we're to understand it, that report is supposed to go to Congress, not to the Justice Department. Yet, all of a sudden, there's a roadblock there. That's right. That's exactly right. So, so on top of potential campaign finance violations and solicitation to engage in campaign finance violations, number one. Number two, extortion of a foreign leader and refusal to carry out the will of Congress. We now have potential obstruction of justice as a way of trying to hide that these things occurred. Um, and what that consists in is a valid whistleblower complaint that has been made. I say valid because the inspector general is the one who gets to decide if the uh, complaint has validity, uh, was supposed to go to Congress. It's the path that it's supposed to take according to law. 
is that the inspector general decides whether or not it's a valid complaint. And if it is, uh, it goes to ODNI, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and he has no choice but to send it on to Congress. Instead, the president reached into the attorney general's office, as we understand it, and had the Office of Legal Counsel come up with the advice that it is not a valid whistleblower complaint, and then had the um, ODNI advise that they should not pass it on to Congress. So that's a, a bunch of twists and turns, but the bottom line is he reached into an ongoing legal process and uh, compromised the independence of that process and dealt Congress out of its proper role. Now, that would be a very, very clear case of obstruction of justice if these facts are true, even much clearer than the firing of Jim Comey, which is being held up as a, a kind of um, textbook example of obstruction of justice. But that's very similar to, to, to William Barr appearing you know, before the nation and, and saying no collusion. That's what the Mueller report says before anybody else had a chance to see anything of that report. Uh, basically, I guess, trying to get, get into people's heads and say, this is the conclusion you're going to come to. Uh, it was totally wrong, of course, and now we're still going to get the same thing. i, I got to ask, on, on process here, Claire, uh, do we know, does anybody know who that whistleblower is at this point? Uh, we don't know. We know it's someone from the intelligence community. Um, my guess is that it's someone fairly high level or someone recently departed fairly high level, um, but we don't know. Um, uh, we do know that the former head of ODNI, Dan Coates, stepped down from office right around the same time that all these things were going on, the conversation with um, Zelensky of Ukraine um, and withholding the military aid to Ukraine. Um, uh, and we also know that he told his deputy that she needed to step down um, because they could not in effect, ethically carry out their jobs. Um, so we don't know if there was any, um, uh, if the whistleblower came from that sector. But we um, assume that it was someone who was either listening into the conversation with Zelensky or who had the um, uh, ability to know what went on in that conversation. The reason I'm asking is because I guess there's a story coming out of the White House today that's suggesting that the whistleblower has a political bias. Uh, they don't even know who the whistleblower is, so I don't know how they can make an assertion like that. Well, that's right. Um, and, uh, of course, that's the sort of um, uh, negative press that the White House will try to um, put on this story. Um, but in theory, they don't know who it is. If the White House does know who the whistleblower is, um, then there has been real dereliction of duty on the part of someone. Uh, who should not be showing the subject of the complaint, the content of the complaint, when it's a whistleblower action, because that whistleblower is supposed to be absolutely protected. Now, on, again, the president's going to try to circumvent this whole thing by saying he's going to release an unredacted uh, transcript of this phone call uh, and uh, and also talk about, and release the whistleblower report. That's the stuff we're hearing this morning anyway. Uh, but the, the comment from Nancy Pelosi yesterday, Claire, was that that's inconsequential. Go ahead and release that if you want. But there's a body of evidence here that they're working on, not just this particular phone call. That's only one piece of it. Right. And as far as we know, there were probably multiple phone calls. So it may be that the president uh, the, or the White House will release 
a transcript of one conversation, uh, first of all, there won't be any faith that that transcript is accurate, and we've been down this road before. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only thing that will uh, really address this is if the White House releases or allows to be released the complaint itself. Now, again, that shouldn't be the White House that has to release it. I mean, the problem here really lies with the willingness of William Barr and uh, his Office of Legal Counsel to do the president's bidding and to play into his his playbook. Uh, the attorney general should have been completely unwilling to touch this, should have said under the whistleblower statute, the attorney general has no role in this, um, and it has to go to Congress. Notice that the fact that there may be classified information in that complaint is irrelevant because, for example, members of the House Intel Committee that subpoenaed this um, complaint all have clearances. And so it doesn't have to be released to the public in order for it to be released to Congress. I guess the ultimate question that everybody's going to be asking at some point here, Claire, is uh, even if they decide to go through with this this whole process after the inquiry is completed and say, okay, we're going to begin impeachment, uh, even if it passes the House, uh, obviously for a conviction it also has to pass the Senate by two-thirds majority. That's never going to happen with this Republican majority. So as as some people are, are asking rhetorically, I guess now, why even bother go through this when you know it's not going to go through the Senate? I think there are two things uh, to be aware of in that. At some point, if the House does not act um, and oppose what is going on, Um, what is coming out of the White House, Um, it is really condoning the behavior. It's saying that this is not an impeachable offense. So if if any one of these aspects that we talked about, obstruction of justice, potential extortion, um, and campaign finance violations, any one of those alone surely constitutes a high crime and misdemeanor. And it's important that the House mark that and note that as best they can, even if it fails. I don't think there is any political calculation um, that is worth paying attention to that says, you know, if they hold their fire and they don't impeach, they have a better shot at the 2020 election, because they're just gutting the the, um, degree to which the party can be understood as standing up for the rule of law. So that's really important. There's also signs that things may be changing in the Senate. Um, The fact that the Senate was willing to say, hey, we agree we want to see that whistleblower report suggests that, you know, something, the tide may be turning. And remember, the tide can turn very quickly, as it did with Watergate. Mm Uh, these are historic times, and Claire, I'm glad. I'm so glad, actually, that you, you had some time to try to cut through some of the, uh, the the smoke here and cut right to the to the heart of the matter. As always, thank you so much for this today. Thanks for having me, Bill. Take care, Claire Fickelstein, of course, from Pennsylvania Law School, University of Pennsylvania Law School. More to come on this one, as you might expect. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from nine to noon on 900 CHML.